Yo, neighbors, we are back for episode four. And look at us on a roll. Four weeks in a row. I know it's kind of flaky before. I'm still been being a bit flaky. <laughs> but we're on a roll. And I'm sorry to anyone who's been affected by my flakiness lately. Probably just my husband. And he's never going to listen to this, so... It's fine. Maybe if giving a few guests runarounds, trying to set up times and stuff, but things have just been up in there, and uh, I'm starting to hit a stride here. <laughs> Get back in the groove. Four weeks feels like a really good groove. We're just like, you know, on a roll. Um, and today I had a great guest. Um, if you're like a, someone who is interested in like mud flood and reset and like Tartaria type research, then you probably have heard of the Instagram page, mud flood memes or the YouTube channel, old scary world. But I had old scary world on the podcast today to talk about resets and where things are possibly going in the future and some stuff from the 1800s and just everywhere. We had a great conversation. I know you guys are going to like this and uh, yeah, super sweet episode today, guys. Episode four and uh, we're not stopping now. So yeah, see you next week. Love you. introduce yourself and we'll just get going no time to waste sure yeah no um i'm old scary world from youtube and mud flood memes on instagram and i do a lot of research on tartaria and the old world and um basically just a little bit of everything involving the esoteric or the paranormal and all the way to current events and political situations and um yeah, I've been kind of doing this stuff off and on pretty much not my whole life, but my whole, ever since I was a teenager, I've been interested in all those kinds of stuff. It's just now I decided to be on the internet. And so I've just been going really strong on social media for the last couple of years and yeah, uh, yeah doing podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Your Instagram page is doing really well. Like good job. <laughs> thank, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's just uploading consistently and you know, yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, the hard part, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, uh, what kind of subject did you want to get into today? Like, obviously, I could, I could ask you some questions about some Oh, stuff. yeah, no, just I'm, I'm an open book. Like, if you have any questions, we can just kind of go from there and, and just see what happens. 
Okay, cool. Okay, first, uh, so I've been like really digging into St. Louis lately. So do you know anything about like um, St. Louis as a reset city or like about? Well, I know that they had uh, they had one of the big world's fairs there. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like with every other city when it involves the, the world's fairs or any kind of resets, you're like, it's really hard to find information. The only thing mm -hmm. that's really abundant is that they always have like a fire. So there's always like a fire, like there's a fire in Chicago, there's a fire in Boston, there's a fire yeah. in San Francisco, and it's always right after they have these World's Fairs. And so in I'm, St. Mm -hmm. Louis, sorry to interrupt, but in St. Louis in okay. 1849, they had a huge fire and right. then they had um, a cyclone that destroyed like most of the city, like about... I think it was in 80, 1889 and then the fair was in 1904. So yeah, you're right. Right before it. Exactly. Yeah. It's always right before, right after. And then I'm from California. I was born and raised here in Silicon Valley. So I know a lot about San Francisco the most. And that's like, I've done the most videos probably about one specific city uh, about San Francisco. And I know about some places outside of San Francisco in the suburbs and stuff that are you know, connected with the old world or the, you know, the 1800s mm -hmm. and what was going on out here as far as uh, building, you know, statues and monuments and things like that. So it's all very interesting to me. But as far as St. Louis, I don't think I've done a video on St. Louis. I think that's one of the ones I haven't really researched too much. Um, mm -hmm. But I do know that St. Louis would have been in the area of the, of the large quake, that, the large earthquake that happened around 1812 and there's a fault line over there and um a lot of people don't know that that area is it's not prone to earthquakes but it's definitely capable of having an earthquake and there was a huge earthquake there and there's documentation of this around 1812 and that's my opinion what caused a lot of these mud floods was like crustal displacement or liquefaction liquid liquefaction um, <laughs> liquefaction sorry <Yeah. clears throat> liquefaction okay. uh on the eastern part, like east of the Mississippi River. And there was oh, huge wow. uh, tectonic, you know, movements and stuff like that with the plates. And also you see that in other parts of the world, it's kind of a consistent like hallmark with this thing is you see just mass uh, upheaval of mud and then it buries things. Like when you look at the, the pyramids in Mexico, mm -hmm. um, they were covered in mud and, and they actually they actually dug those out in the 1800s like people didn't even know they were there they were rediscovered and to yeah. me to me it's always seems a little strange when you have these giant buildings or these monuments and they're laying ruins like how did it ever get to that point like who let it like people didn't just disappear there was people there there's never been necessarily evidence of people just disappearing but that would actually be the only logical thing to explain why these buildings were just left to just fall apart. Like, why wouldn't they just keep them up after all that work was put into them? What generation decided to just walk away from it? So that's one of the things that always kind of like made me wonder a little bit about, you know, some of the, um, some of the monuments in South America and Central America, also in Europe. And stuff there's all these these ruins like who decided to just let them fall apart mm -hmm. like where did the people go where did the people go and you know and some people say oh they just um started building other buildings you know away but 
it just doesn't make sense why there's so much mud in some of these yeah. places and there's evidence of that and then they rediscover them like the pyramids in egypt were covered in sand they, they dug a lot of those pyramids out who decided to stop taking care of those yeah and and like they're like i just got back from mexico and uh so we went to see some ruins and stuff and the ruins we went to see weren't even discovered until like in the 1900s like i think 1930 or something even like is when they found they found it and right. uh yeah and also i met a <clears throat> and underwater archaeologist there and there's a cenote where he was diving into these caves and 70, I want to get this right, but I'm pretty sure he said 70 feet below sea level, there's like um, ruins they found, like an old fireplace with bones burnt in it and stuff, and like this um, masonry underwater in this cave, 70 feet below sea level. So like, there was definitely some cataclysm Mm -hmm. that like shifted things massively. And who knows? Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, underground rivers, underground seas. I mean, there was a guy who led a, an underwater excavation in like a, in a submarine kind of thing. And he talked about, and he was connected with like James Cameron or something like that, the movie director. Mm-hmm. And they were going down there and there's a video interview where he's explaining that they went down thousands of feet and then they went into a cavern and then it was dry. Whoa. And then there was another ocean. So he was basically saying that there was this pocket where it was like dry. There was no water. They could literally, they didn't, they didn't get out obviously because of the pressure and everything, but he was literally looking at a separate ocean. Well, coincidentally, a few weeks after he gave that interview, he died in a helicopter crash. Um, And I'm not saying per se, you know, that that's connected to that, but I do know that when people find, you know, um, ruins or just things are not things that just don't add up like things that defy physics or things that defy science they usually don't like last long yeah Yeah, against the narrative um when people start finding skeletons that are you know nine feet tall ten feet like giant skeletons literally you know giants um in north america it goes against um surprisingly the indigenous people the native americans um don't like it and there's a lot of litigation currently with the University of South Carolina, where they found um, skeletal remains, you know, humanoid skeleton, skeletal remains that were dated to be about 37,000 years old. Mm-hmm. And that goes against the indigenous people's uh, creation myth across the continent is about 10,000 years. They say Holy. that, you know, yeah, that's well, you have to remember that the Navajo the Cherokee, any, any tribe, they all have like a creation myth. They all have their, it's a religion mm-hmm. and they have their spirits and they have their gods, they have their deities. And so when they find a skeleton that's Caucasian, it's basically European in North America, they put up a, a fight to get the results suppressed, to put the, the, they wanted to put it just back in the earth and not have it studied. And, but they compromised on, well, they can study it, but you can't release the results. Okay. So yeah. certain people can be just as, um, fundamental. They can be just as, um, vindictive as like, say, you know, um, I don't know, a, a, a conservative Christian or something like that when it comes to creation myths. Mm-hmm. 
because it contradicts their whole like story. <clears throat> yeah, people attach their identity to like that kind of belief system and then it like shatters their identity in a way to have to like take that information in. Right. So it's not just it's not just who you would think or it's not just the the usual suspects. It's also just people who are going about their business <clears throat> thinking like, oh, well, they're never going to find anything older than this in North America. And they do. And they found them in Seattle as well or Washington state area. Um, and who knows what's underneath the permafrost in places like Alaska or Siberia. I mean, I, I really think that we've just begun to scratch the surface as far as what our real history is. And we've been kind of spoon fed these things growing up. Um, I don't know how old you are, but I was born in the early eighties. So I, you know, grew up thinking, Oh, we all came from uh, Mesopotamia. That was the, cr the cradle of, of civilization, you know, Africa and this and that. And, but there's actually evidence to suggest that we were all coexisting, that there was multiple um, races, multiple species, all in different parts of the earth at the same time. And that would imply like intelligent design or some type of creator rather than just evolution. A lot of Darwin's theories have been disproven. A lot of other people's, you know, and we're constantly learning that what we grew up with isn't necessarily the truth. It's just what we're accustomed to. And they're actually misnomers and all kinds of just invalid information, but we're not scouring the scientific journals and we're not keeping up with all the archeological discoveries but what we grew up with in school or at least what i grew up with is definitely outdated information yeah i actually was born in 84 okay <clears throat> so yeah i could totally agree and me and my husband were actually talking about how when we were like growing up and going to schools we learned so much about dinosaurs all the time and we're just like what the fuck why were we learning like we didn't really learn um like important history we just learned these chunks of weird and always the, with the dinosaurs there was like volcanoes volcanoes and tar pits and volcanoes and we're like what like was that like i think they were saying like volcanoes caused the ice age at that point or no or like i just was like why was it so associated with volcanoes the dinosaur thing yeah super volcanoes or you know a, a comet a meteor striking oh, yeah, the yeah. earth creating like a nuclear winter I don't really believe in dinosaurs, technically, yeah, and I know that that's like a weird flex, you know, <clears throat> and people like are kind of just like, oh, what, what the hell are you talking about? Of course, dinosaurs. Well, we're just told, we're just literally told, and we're they come up with like these theories of what they look like based off of bones, and you know, when you go to a natural museum, you know, and you look at the, the dinosaur, you know, just it's not real. It's like, and they admit it. It's mostly yeah. plastic. It's mostly composite. They'll find one bone or they'll find a few and then they'll just kind of guess the rat and they'll put it together so it's presentable for kids and stuff. But like, you ever wonder why kids are so into dinosaurs? It's such a like a childish thing, like, you know, because there's like two yeah. kinds of people. There's like the people that are really into dinosaurs as when they're kids and then maybe they grow up to be like, you know, an archaeologist or something like that. And they like keep studying dinosaurs and then they have to yeah. keep perpetuating the, the myths and the lies and they're, but they're, they're getting paid so they just keep doing it and then there's normal people who just grow out of it and they're just like oh no dinosaurs that's like for kids like yeah. i don't i don't play with dinosaur figures i don't like watch jurassic park <clears throat> you know anymore um so dinosaurs are very like cartoony because it's a myth like dinosaurs yeah. are just as much as a, a mythology 
if you believe in dinosaurs, then you might as well believe in dragons because dragons are essentially dinosaurs. And they did some, you know, kind of hypothetical, you know, reenactments and like, well, yeah, you know, technically an animal could have a sack in his stomach that produces methane gas and instead of it going out a, you know, um, sphincter, it could go the other way. There could be a separate windpipe. It could come out of the mouth and then their teeth could be like flint. And if they scratch their teeth, if they gnash their teeth while they um, expel this methane gas from a sack in their digestive system, then they could shoot fire. And it's like, okay, well, if we're going to go with that, if we're going to say that that could be like theoretical, you know, science, then everything's on the table then. Because yeah. they're essentially trying to say that fire breathing dinosaurs, AKA <clears throat> dragons could have been real at some point. And they have to, they have to say stuff like that to kind of keep people interested. But what I don't think that they understand is that actually feeds the, the fire of people who believe in the supernatural or, or the, the mythological beasts like dinosaurs or dragons being, you know, more than like, you know, like um, the legend of like the, the dragon hoarding the gold and being like yeah. a sentient, being like a sentient being that flies around and like wreaks havoc on kingdoms. And then the, the knight has to come and slay the dragon. Well, we see that in Christianity, even we see St. Michael destroying, you know, a dragon and St. Michael or sometimes um, St. George. And then in Norse mythology, uh, St. George is Thor and Thor slays dragons. And then you look at Odin, who's Thor's father, mm -hmm. being like Jehovah. So you have Thor's like Christ. Odin is like Jehovah. And then Loki, which is Thor's brother, he would be like Lucifer. But you see how there's like these similarities? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but I am not like, a, I guess I, I wouldn't say um, I'm not Baptist. I'm not fundamentalist. Like I'm more of an esoteric Christian, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. because I entertain all these ideas, but I look at it from a Christian perspective of the way that it's been adapted by other religions or other cultures as just a reinterpretation of that. Like I could take any mythological thing and attribute it to scripture or attribute it to ancient Babylonian religions that were you know, pre-Christian. Yeah. It's super interesting how the story it's like just slightly different and repeats through like all known mythologies through time. And so like, I, I don't know, I sometimes theorize that like it is an important story for us and it, it does like, it, there's something it's trying to tell us, but maybe we just don't quite understand it yet like people are trying to take it so literal still, but I don't really think, I don't know who knows. Right. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just all very interesting and it all, it all ties in to um, the old world and, and things like that too, because you have a situation where the religions went through, obviously they got um, like, I don't deny that things were perverted and things were adulterated by the modern church, but that's man's work. That's not God mm -hmm. changing the rules in the middle of the game. That's man trying to exploit people's faith and say, Oh yeah. yeah, you know, and then you do this and you do that. Like, I don't agree with what's going on with a lot of the churches right now with the Vatican, with other, with other things. Um, and there's going to be another schism with the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the, um, 
what you would call the uh, the the, um, the Anglican Church, because a lot mm. of churches are starting to be more accepting, and there's more Orthodox. You know, people are like, "Oh no, we can't just let anybody in." Like, there's rules, there's sins, there's commandments. We can't just forget about that just to get more people into the flock. So there's probably going to be a huge schism again mm-hmm. with that that's coming up. And then we see that kind of schism just in, in day-to-day life with people. Like I've lost um, friends or they lost me. I like to say that they lost me, that I didn't really yeah. lose them <laughs> um, over politics or, you know, um, the the pandemic or whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and people are just really brainwashed now. And it's really fascinating how if you start talking about even just say dinosaurs aren't real or these buildings are older than they say they are, they automatically label you as a right-wing Nazi or a racist. And it's like, where did that come from? Where did it's that mentality where... come from? It's it's very interesting. And um, one can even look at it that it's, it's kind of like, I like to give credit where credit's due. And if this was the plan all along to try to dismiss any alternative thinking, any kind of critical thinking that leans on the, the paranormal or anything like that, then they did a good job because they've they've convinced a lot of people that if anybody says anything strange, whether it's about politics or about religion or about gender or, or, or anything, but just anything off off the wall, then it's automatically labeled as some type of right wing conspiracy theory. And that to me, that's I didn't grow up like that. I grew up mm-hmm. with people on the left being the ones who were a little bit more kooky and a little bit more open minded. But now you're seeing this shift where you see people who identify as Republican or right wing or Freedom Party or, you know, the truthers or whatever you want to call them. They're the ones who are actually more open minded and more like they have a a bigger imagination. And the left is becoming extremely closed minded and extremely like cultish. Yeah, it's strange because remember back like during the like around 9-11 in the George Bush era, like, and like, like I'm from Canada and we had like Harper and um, Critton and what, anyway, we, mm-hmm. we took a swing the same time as America. Like mm-hmm. we're all, we all swung left and it's really, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a Western thing. Cause it happened yeah. in, it happened in Europe as well. <clears throat> it happened in the UK um, it's just a very, it's just a very Western thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on in Asia with their, like how they, I know that they're pretty strict about things, especially in China and stuff like that. Japan, you know, Japan's been pretty, you know, they're pretty open-minded with, you know, mythological things and the paranormal. They definitely have their, their myths and things like that. They don't really discourage that kind of behavior, but yeah, in communist China, they do. Yeah, Japan's not as progressive either, but then there's like New Zealand and uh, Australia that are like pretty progressive and they've sort well, of yeah. left as well. Australia is being controlled by, by China right now. They have a lot of foreign interests in Australia and there's definitely yeah. a lot of influence to um, be more like you, when you had the, the COVID-19 and the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, you saw a lot of the same things that were happening in China, happening in Australia and New Zealand, as far as like being very totalitarian with their um, vaccination policies and just all, all yeah. kinds of things like that. And then now in Canada, there's, you know, and I used to do 
um, I kind of do them intermittently now, but for a while I was doing them really consistently. I was doing live streams on Instagram with these two guys from, from Canada. One was from BC and the other one was from Alberta. And, you know, they would tell me that they weren't exactly sure how long they could even be doing what they were doing under the new laws with yeah. the internet and all that stuff. And that's really scary because when I was a kid, I always thought Canada was about the same as far as rights and, you know, it's slowly becoming, you know, a problem, but maybe that's just with Trudeau. I don't know if maybe things will get better in the future. I'm not sure, but I think it's sort of like, um, it's like localized in certain areas, same as what it's probably like for you guys, like how, um, California and New York took some really left swing, like pretty extreme and like Michigan is pretty extreme. So like we have like Toronto and Ottawa, like those main cities out East are that those areas are pretty extreme. And then like Vancouver and like, I don't know, it's always just like the majorly populated areas. And then like, cause I live kind of in the middle of nowhere in Northern BC and it's like, I don't know. I'm pretty glad I was here during the pandemic crap because like I didn't even wear a mask the whole time or like whatever. I know people, sometimes I got harassed about it, but it was not really a big deal. Yeah. I was never, I was never too worried about it. And I, I saw it kind of coming. I remember hearing about it in November of 2019. There was like murmurings of this, you know, the, back then they called it the Wuhan mystery illness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were saying that it came from a, uh, what was it, a, a bat, and then it was some other kind of armadillo looking thing, I forget what they're called, um, mm-hmm. from a cave, and then it was the wet market, and then all that went out the window. I don't even, I, I don't know where you're broadcasting or where you're going to be publishing this, so I, I watch my language as far as you know, trigger words, but if you yeah. give, give me the, the okay, <laughs> then I'll you know, say certain things. I mean, you could say the word, I would just like, you know, not say the exact word, but beat or, you could beat around the bush and talk about it. No big deal. I just don't want to oh, get yeah, no, for- no, 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 it's okay. No, I mean, the whole subject's been, been, been done to death, but basically right. just to kind of wrap it up, just to kind of encapsulate it is just that, yeah, I, I get a lot of um, questions. Or I get a lot of comments from people saying, oh, you're in California. Oh, you're in Silicon Valley, I feel sorry for you. I'm sorry, you know. So, and it's really not like that. It's not the way that the news presents it. Like where mm-hmm. I am, I live in the suburbs. I don't live in San Francisco. I don't live in Los Angeles. I live in the suburbs. I've always have. I hopefully always will. And that's just what I'm accustomed to. Like I'm not a big city person. I, mm-hmm. you know, in my former lives and stuff, I used to, you know, part. I was a photographer, so I had to go up to the city and it, but it was different back then. This was all, this was like before the Trump era and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit more just, it wasn't so politically charged, but no, California was a red state. It was a Republican run state until the early 1990s. This, this blue wave is relatively new thing, actually last 20 years. Um, it used to, we had uh, Republican uh, governors for the, for the majority of, of California's existence and it was actually a really free, cool place to be. And that's why Hollywood and Los Angeles became such, you know, cultural like icons of, of that lifestyle because things were actually very like free. Like people weren't like all wound up like they are now. That's, this is a new uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. As you know, you're old enough mm-hmm. to know too in Canada, 
it's just like people being triggered and people like vibrating, you know, every time that they get like attention and stuff like that. And you can see it like when they're like triggered or whatever at those protests, like they start vibrating, they literally start shaking. And that's like a symptom of their, of their illness is that they need attention and then they get like sensory overload and then they just want to like yell and scream and curse and just be totally cringe. I, I don't know where that comes from because I grew up in a time where people like that, they're, they were more honest and true to their form, which was that they were, they were weak and they were timid and they didn't speak up. But now with the internet and social media, they have this like place to speak and they feel empowered and they feel like they can bully people around, just yell and screech. And um, I don't, you know, I was actually, I had a thought the other night and I said, every, every society has a, a tipping point. And I think we've reached that tipping point. I don't think that we can progress as a, as a society, as a Western, not just American, but, but Western Europe and Canadian, Australian, uh, the West. I, I don't think that we can survive like this. this there's too much tension and everything like everything has a tipping point and there's other places in the world that see that and they're trying to prevent that and even china is like china has laws against degeneracy china has laws against you know um, propaganda because they're trying to put a lid on it they don't they see what's happening to the west and they're like oh no we're not gonna that, that's not gonna happen here and uh, i saw a video from china where it was like third graders third fourth grade age kids and they were in class and they all had what appeared to be like a, a Glock nine millimeter and they were taking it apart and putting it back together over and over again. Like yeah. And I don't, I'm not against that. I'm not anti-gun, but what it is, is it's a symptom of them being like, okay, we need to train these kids to know how to defend themselves. And there's nothing wrong in America. We used to do the same thing. Kids would learn how to hunt when they were like, usually like 12, 13 years old, they go on their first hunt with their father or some, you know, male figure in their life. Um, kids knew how to clean a gun. Kids knew how to gut an animal. Uh, we export beef to China more than any other country. We sell our beef, especially grass fed to China. China is buying our beef. China's buying our milk. They used to never encourage kids to eat uh, so much beef and drink cow milk because they were drinking, you know, like soy milk and green tea and all that kind of stuff. And now they got the kids, the boys, and they're having them go to um, like classes to learn how to be masculine. The exact opposite of what we're being told in the West. And to me, that's, that's like a big, that's like, Hey guys, like they're learning from the last 50 years of us declining. And they're saying no more, like they want to go the other way. Do you think that they like are learning from our mistakes or do you think they already swung pretty far like left and into that? Like, do you think they're just like their pendulums moving different than ours? Um, a little bit of both, I suppose, but more so they're learning from our mistakes because we've made so many of them with our social policies. And, you know, a lot of people theorize that what happened is around 2008 when Barack Obama was the president, there was a lot of debt, you know, racking up with China and Obama did some things and basically said we're, that we're not going to pay, that the United States wasn't going to pay them back at the same rate. There were some changes to the agreement. And that's when you started to see fentanyl show up. So mm -hmm. basically a lot of people's theories, especially even with the junkies, the junkies are actually the ones that figured it out. 
they're like, hey, um, you know, around 2010, 2011, there was a shift from heroin to fentanyl. And what it was, was it was China putting embargoes because a lot of that stuff was coming from Afghanistan through China into the port of Los Angeles and the port of New York and so forth. So the theory is, is that what they started doing is they started sending us fentanyl via Mexico, especially, and putting fentanyl out on the streets as a weapon. In other words, they're using fentanyl as a weapon to kill Westerners. And so in America, the leading cause of death for a, an adult white male is an opiate overdose. It surpassed car crashes. Yeah, I believe it. That's like what kills most people. I've known to pass away in the last 10 years. And I remember like 20 years ago when everyone was just starting to get prescribed so much painkillers all of a sudden, mm -hmm. like everyone I know and antidepressants and combinations. And now like everyone's, I don't know. It, yeah. Things have gone pretty bad now. I've had several friends over the last decade die from opiate overdoses and yeah. also um, drug-induced suicide. Yeah, same. So, so it sucks, but it's 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 just it's it's the I wouldn't even call it an elephant in the room because at least people are talking about it, but mm -hmm. it's definitely a glaring issue um, with people in our age group, you know, late millennials. So, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. It's not my job. I don't have the resources. I don't have the authority to make decisions that would actually make a significant change. But I do have ideas on how it could work theoretically if I was given that power. But that's just armchair, you know, politics. But, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people listening, they might think, well, what does this have to do with, you know, the old world? Or what does this have to do with the, 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 the esoteric? Well, I'll tell you what, is it this what we're seeing all this strife all this hardship all this misery is evil it's my opinion that this is this is just the current uh form or the current um mode of evil like you know we see what's going on in the world and you know it, we can say that those are like if we continue down this road and we're able to continue as a species and we're not um that there's no um day of judgment or there's no you know apocalypse essentially or some type of doomsday in the future they're going to look back at this time and, and these are going to be like ghost stories what we're, yeah, yeah. what we're doing and we can't a lot of people think that we can go back to the old world as some type of golden age with free energy and abundance and everybody's like getting along and everybody's like super intelligent like a utopia i tell you right now that's not and i'm not trying to be like you know pessimistic i'm just looking at it the way it is is the people who are running the show right now are evil because a good leader, a good government a good, is not going to encourage people to do the things that they're doing. Like they would never say to a kid, oh, you should go and, you know, mutilate your genitals and take hormones. And like, that's not how you have a functioning society. I'm sorry. You know, I know there's people who think that that's what they need, but that's not that. And then the homelessness, the crime, all these things, like, how are we going to deal with people? Like there might be people who could live in a utopia, but what about all the people who don't want a utopia? What about all the people who are very happy being a criminal? Like, I don't know how it is exactly in Canada, but down here, especially in California, we have these big homeless camps. Do you guys have those up there too? 
So where I live, it's really cold, but um, there's like, they're just keep building these huge shelters in my town. But um, in Vancouver, there's yeah, tent cities everywhere now. Yeah, the tent cities like in Seattle and Portland, San Francisco, mm. Los Angeles. Okay. So they interview these people sometimes and they ask them, you know, what they would like to do. And they say, nothing. This is what we want. They're like gypsies. It's, a, it's becoming a culture. Mm-hmm. And then so the politicians and the city planners and the developers and all the, the people like that, they say, oh, we need to build more housing. That'll solve the problem. It'll help the people who want to be housed. It'll help the people who have just fallen on hard times and they just need like a leg up. They just need a couple advances on their paycheck and they'll be back to you know being okay. But a lot of the people that live in the tent cities, they're drug addicts. They're completely used to and they happen to actually like this lifestyle they can't live in a normal setting they would get evicted the police would be there all the time like they don't like to pay bills and have rules and responsibilities they are literally Mm -hmm. totally cool with living in tents and shoplifting everything they need stealing everything they need and doing drugs Mm -hmm. and that is also a symptom of their addiction their addiction tells them or their addiction is akin to a demon a demon who says if you get clean and you get into a house or you get into an apartment, you're not going to be able to, to hang out with me anymore. Mm -hmm. And then they go, Oh shit. No. And they're, so their addiction is stronger than their urge to be housed. And some of them are willing to admit it, but that doesn't get things built and things not getting built. Doesn't get the developers pockets lined. So it's, it's really, they're kind of tricking the people into supporting more housing and saying, oh, that'll get rid of the homelessness. I'm not against building more housing where it's appropriate. I'm against lying to people and saying that it's going to get rid of the tent cities because it's not going to get rid of the tent cities because the tent cities are full of people who don't want to be housed. Yeah, They they like being gypsies. And that's what I call them now. I'm like, well, they're just gypsies because they act like it and their, their tent cities look like gypsy caravans. Like, what do you want me to tell you? They were, they are a lot like gypsies. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And you go back I, to Roma- to Romania and Hungary, and they would t- they would tell the kids like, "Don't go to the gypsy camps at night," you know, in, in Eastern Europe and stuff. And now we see here in California and other places, we see parents saying like, "Oh no, you can't go to that park anymore because there's tents there, and don't walk that way home from school because you have to walk through the tent city." Like, and so kids are like being told like, "Stay away from the tent cities," just like we used to tell. The kids in the in Romania and Hungary, like, don't go to the gypsy camp. Yeah, it's crazy. I when I was in Ireland, actually, there I went to like the street fair, and there was like gypsies selling stuff. And then my friend was like, "Don't buy anything from them." I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, "He's like, don't laugh. It's serious. Like they're f- crazy. Like don't, don't even talk to them." I'm like, "Okay, I guess they just rip people off and stuff, or and they have like nothing to lose." I think they're alcoholics, which is kind of the same. It's like just another addiction that they used to, it's a lot the same. You're right. Yeah, no, I see the parallels. And like I said, it it goes back to the whole thing of of good versus evil and stuff. And some of these people, you know, they could be helped. I'm not saying that they're necessarily the problem. It's, it's this culture that's, that's facilitated their existence. And I think the pharmaceutical companies are to blame to a certain extent. I think that the, the government is to blame for not being tougher on drugs and you know clamping down on importing it. But 
the local government here in California, especially San Francisco, I mean, they give out kits, like they give out syringes, they give out tourniquets, they give out, and like, yeah. there's no, you Same know, as Vancouver. right. Vancouver is really bad too. And yeah. it, it encourages them. And then people say, oh no, it's to make it safer because they're going to do it anyways. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand the fact that it's so readily available might be what pushes some people to say, yeah, fuck it. I'll try it. Because when I was a kid, um, I knew a lot of people that smoked weed. I knew people that did, you know, mushrooms, you know, stuff like that. But it was like taboo to be, you know, into harder drugs. And I didn't see people get into yeah. harder drugs until they were in their like twenties. But when we were teenagers, it was like, oh no, we don't do, we don't do powder drugs. Like we don't shoot heroin. Like that's for losers, you know? Yeah. And now like, it's just all out the window and it's just, there's so much of it. It doesn't scare kids as much. Like when we were kids, it was like, you know, shooting heroin equals getting HIV. Smoking crack equals being a prostitute. Yeah. Um, doing hard drugs like that turns you into a degenerate person. It turns you into a monster. And, you know, my father, he went to prison uh, for, um, not for drugs, but for, for something else. And when he got out, he was only in for like three years. But when he got out and he started telling me stories when I was seven, eight years old about what it was like in jail, Jesus. that, that, that kept me what it was like in jail and what it was like in, in, in a penitentiary system in prison that kept me away from, from hard drugs, because what he told me that the guys had to do to get those hard drugs when they were inside prison. And, and they would do because they're so addicted. And what they did on the outside that got them into prison. God. And I remember there was this one story in particular. It's not a very long story. He told me there was this kid who who showed up on the scene and he wouldn't leave his cell. And if you don't leave your cell, then you only get breakfast. You don't get to eat more than one meal. This is where mm -hmm. my father was. My father was in Folsom, uh, Folsom prison. And so the kid didn't leave the cell for weeks and he started getting these boils and his, his uh, skin was really bad and like his hair was falling out and all that kind of stuff. And so my dad kind of took him under his wing and he said, look, you got to go out in the yard. You got to show these guys that you're not like a punk. Like you got to like get some sun, you got to lift some weights and all that kind of stuff. And so as the kid started doing that, he started feeling better. He started talking to my dad more and telling him things. And so the reason that he was in prison was because he was uh, addicted to crank, you know, speed, whatever, mm -hmm. meth, you could say meth, but it wasn't meth mm -hmm. then. He was a speed freak. Mm -hmm. And he had a girlfriend. And he would always go to this one guy to get his speed. And the girlfriend was like, well, why am I messing around with you? I'll just go straight to the guy you're buying it from. Because she was addicted too, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so the kid was like 19 years old and he was all bummed out that his girlfriend left him for the dealer and he got drunk and he was on speed and he was just, he was drinking and doing drugs at the same time, driving around in his Camaro and he, uh, he crashed it and killed somebody. Uh. And so they sent him to prison. His father was retired but his father felt bad for his son. So his father got a part-time job at McDonald's, uh, the hamburger stand, and he died working at McDonald's. He had a heart attack working at McDonald's. See, so it's just, it's stories like that. 
it's stories like that that were like instilled into me that were like ingrained into my memory when I was a kid. And so when I had access to hard drugs, I was like, nah, 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 yeah. I don't do that. So a lot can be learned from, even though it was just a secondhand story, it's just that those kinds of things like that stick with me. And that's just kind of like a PG 13 story. Like there's worse things. Yeah. I have a friend who is like a prison guard in Montana and he's told me some really hardcore stories. I haven't talked to him for a few years, but yeah, it definitely keeps you straight and narrow. Do you, what do you think is the reason that they're like um, rotting society from the inside out? Do you think like they're going to reset us again or something? Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems that way, unfortunately, and it's not going to be, from what I can gather, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a very nice reset. It no. seems like it's going to be a push into where the common person will be actually totally immersed in some type of technocratic hell, mm -hmm. an escape from the rot, while they go off and they enjoy nature in, in, in restricted areas. And this is something that came to my attention about 15, 16 years ago, people started talking about this, where you have organizations like Greenpeace and the uh, Sierra organization, and they go and they buy land and they get donations from people and they, they buy, they secure land and they say, oh, we're, we're, we're conservating, you know, we're, we're saving, you know, from develop. What they're really doing is they're, they're, acquiring real estate they're they're acquiring acreage in national park areas in preserves in watersheds in redwood forests and you know high plains area like in uh, north dakota utah and they're just saving it for themselves because the one thing that they've managed to kind of convince people of over the last 50 years or so is technology equal status like if you have a nice tv if you have a computer you have a cell phone you have all these devices that makes you like higher class but then what happened is after the mid-2000s everybody had a cell phone everybody had a computer everybody had you know an access to, to the internet and you see all these things popping up and you see how readily available they are how cheap they are so what's the what's the one equalizer what's something that they can take away from people so that these top 1% families, these, these dynasties, this, these royalty, if we're speaking uh, Euro in European terms, what's something that they can hoard for themselves now that they've tricked us with these, with these uh, trinkets and baubles? Nature. They can yeah. confine, confine the common person to a very smart, advanced, you know, small um, mega city. And I say small, I don't mean small necessarily, but tightly compacted, very densely populated area. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll go off and they'll go fishing and they'll go to the beaches and they'll go into the woods and they'll go to their cabins and their estates their, and their, you know, their manors and they'll eat meat. They're not going to be eating bugs and they'll, they'll live like how people lived a hundred years ago in opulence, like in the Victorian age. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at Tartaria and you look at the old world and you see these like these really nice cathedrals and these big houses with these, that's what they want to go back to. That's what they want to keep. Like, especially, you know, if you're going into the, like the European kind of way, but also in New England and other places, they have these properties, they have these estates mm -hmm. and you see their families mm -hmm. 
their families are reproducing. Their, their families are having children. They're continuing their legacy. They're creating generational wealth. They have, to my knowledge, pretty much no, <clears throat> excuse me, they have pretty much no instances of people being transgender. Like for some reason, these people, they don't have those kinds of like kids. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're very, uh, you're from Canada. So I don't know if you're familiar with the expression, but here in the States, especially in New England, there's a term it's called WASP and WASP stands for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And that's kind of like a euphemism for what you would consider like a very just um, Ivy league, you know, uh, preppy kind of uh, lineage. And I- an Anderson Cooper type or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess like Anderson Cooper minus the Anderson Cooper niche, but um, yeah, just the phenotype of like just um, Anglo, you know, um, yeah. tall, athletic, like jockey, just who you would imagine like um, just your kind of quintessential all American kind of like um, you know stock, you know, like yeah. the Kennedys or you know the Vanderbilts or something like that. Anyways. And and Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt. So, (laughs) but yeah, just, you know, like the country club, you know, the, the uh, sweaters over the shoulder, you know, and all that polo shirts and all that kind of stuff. Um, Okay. Well, they're going to continue on. They have no signs. um, They're not having like a population collapse because they're very pedigree. Like they, they marry their own kind. They have children young. The women stay at home. And these are all the things that built up America. And then they're, they're trying to push us into this idea, this concept of like, don't have children, don't have a car. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that for the environment, for the environment. It's good. Yeah. Don't eat meat, eat the bugs. All this stuff is bad. It's, it's, we wouldn't have made it this far. And so it's a big psyop. It's a big gaslighting operation. And I didn't let it stop me. You know what I mean? Like I, I have children. I, I don't, I didn't play, I didn't fall into that trap. And when I mm-hmm. had my daughter, like it changed my life. I, I feel way more like, like there's a purpose and I feel more just alive. Not that I was unhappy before, but damn, like it just, it just, it felt just more. And that's natural. That's the natural instinct. And to me, the reset that they're trying to push us into is completely unnatural, not because they want it for themselves, not because they believe in it, but because they figure out this is the best way to keep controlling people because they lost their ability to control people for a brief period of time. They saw where it was going. They're like, we can't just keep letting people go on the internet and have like information. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. to pollute the internet. We have to corrupt the internet and we have to push people into corners. Like right now you and I just created a, a portal. Like we're using magic essentially. Like I know it mm-hmm. sounds like ridiculous, but if you look at it in terms of the way that people perceive the world 500 or even just 200, hundred years ago, this is what we're doing is kind of like magic. Mm-hmm. We've, we've created this little portal in a far flung space in the internet. And now we're communicating through it. It's our little secret room to talk about things. And, and then, then we're going to share it. <laughs> yeah. And we can make little hyperlinks and people can go back in time because we're not, live right now mm-hmm. and it's this little fragment it's this little essence of our conversation that is going to exist as long as it's you know supported by bandwidth somewhere so that's magic 
you know, and if people can't understand that, I mean, they want to say it's science. Okay, fine. We'll call it science all you want, but it falls under the definition of, of, of kind of a magical thing. We're using metals and crystals and energy to, to make this happen. And that's exactly yeah. what the, that's exactly what the alchemists were trying to do in the old world. They were trying to just create what, what we've created. We're broadcasting too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've made a, a magic mirror. Do you want to do you want to talk about like um, the mud flood history of California a bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've actually been doing a little bit of research on it because it could happen again. Um, mm-hmm. People have have kind of laid out what what would cause it, and so in 1857 there was a, a period of rain that lasted for about like a month. It rained heavily every single day. And California has a valley because we have two mountain ranges. And so there's kind of like these, these basins, like these big bathtubs and Yosemite Valley and all through central California is essentially just a giant basin. So what happened was in 1857, it rained consecutively for, like I said, about a month or so. And all that wash created mud. And then it all went down the face of the mountains into the valley. So 70, five about yeah about three quarters of the agricultural land was destroyed now people say oh well, now we have this and we have that and modern irrigation and so forth no our infrastructure is all screwed up and it could totally happen again and so when it happened in 1857 the buildings got covered in mud and when you see pictures of like people building buildings, you can clearly see that they're actually digging buildings out. And so then you go into the reset of 1901 in San Francisco or 1906, excuse me, 1906 was the big earthquake. Well, when you look at pictures before the earthquake, there's buildings that look like super old. And after the earthquake happened, all the records got destroyed. And so when people look at these old pictures and they say, well, what was that building? Or what was that building? It's huge. That that building has a spire on it. That building, you know, and they're like, Mm -hmm. we don't know. We don't know what that building was. They only know what some of the buildings are. And luckily we have pictures. Yeah. And luckily we have pictures. And then conveniently the, the time when San Francisco was being built, it was all drawings. So there's really no pictures of these buildings being built because they were supposedly built before photography was invented and but i've done the math and i'm like okay like they came in 1849 during the gold rush there was nothing they built it up in about 50 years there's buildings that look older than 50 years and it's totally built out huge basically skyscraper looking buildings then the earthquake in 1906 and then they rebuild it in even less time they rebuild it in seven years and they have the world's fair with all the, the big things there and then they knock all that down and they said, oh, that was all just paper mache. San Francisco is extremely foggy. There's always like precipitation in there. If they built those things out of paper mache and chicken wire, supposedly, it wouldn't have lasted. That stuff was up for the World's Fair. It was up for over a year and it was fine. And they're super tall and they had all this stuff on it. I know it sounds crazy. And I know there's people that say like, well, no, you're just, you know, your imagination's running away with you. I don't care. Like to me, even if that stuff was just built up like for the world's fair, how did they accomplish even just that? Because these buildings are huge. 
And then the mud flood thing, it can happen again. I mean, we had just had a huge storm and there was buildings that were literally covered in mud, but it was 2022 slash 23, not 1850. So, I mean, to me, it's like, we're, we're sitting on a time bomb here and nobody wants to talk about it because LA could get flooded with mud. San Francisco could get flooded with like anywhere in California could get flooded with mud again. Yeah, the crazy thing about the World's Fair is that, like, you could, like, it's really hard for people to imagine, like, the sheer volume of materials used until you find, like, a really good aerial panoramic of the entire site, of any of them, because it's, it's like, a massive city, like, full of massive, multi-story, like, structures that are, like, phenomenal architecture, and, like, it's just like, it, it's unfathomable that like at that time, like, yeah, maybe if they had one fair in America during that time and people came from all over and materials came from all over and they built it and did it once, but they literally were doing it every year in a new place. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot of different expositions in San Francisco um, <clears throat> going back to 1896. I think there was one mm-hmm. even like 18... <sighs> Uh, it, they, they've had quite a few of them. And, you know, the thing about World's Fairs is they still have them. Um, we just yeah. re- we just recently had one in Dubai. And they're pretty much the same thing. Like, they show off technology. They build temporary buildings. But they don't look like that. For some reason, they decided to do all those World's Fairs in that Greco-Roman, ancient Grecian kind of style. And nobody, yeah. and nobody really knows why. They just... Because if it was about showing off the new technology, then why did you decorate it like the old? And Chicago is a really good example of that. Chicago is one of the most elaborate ones. But one that doesn't get talked about a lot is the Centennial World's Fair, which was in 1876 to also uh, celebrate 100 years of America. And that one was in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And and that one's really interesting because there was a million square foot building. There was a building, building. Right. And that's in a golf course now, like, and you can go They're out all there. golf courses now. I'm starting yeah. to figure out. <laughs> and you can go out there and you can, um, somebody used a, a ground penetrating radar and they found remnants of that world's fair underneath the golf course. And also in the adjacent properties, uh, outside the boundaries of the golf course. So then that goes into the whole rumor of, of golf courses. And you look into that and you find out that golf courses in the United States, the majority of them are on federal land that's leased out to the country club or it's leased out to the, the golf course if it's not a country club, but it's owned by the federal government and it's just leased out. So it means they have the mineral rights, they have the right to dig, mm-hmm. they have the, the, the right to stop any digging. So that's really interesting. And so where I am here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a town called Half Moon Bay and Half Moon Bay is really old. It used to be called Spanish Town. And before Spanish Town was founded, there was another town down the coast called, um, it's escaping me right now. Oh, uh, Persima. And so Persima or Persima, however you want to pronounce it in California, that was older than Half and Bay. And that was actually goes back to when California was still Spain, like when the Spanish wow. ran. And there was yeah. a grave and there's a graveyard and it got covered up. 
and there was a school and there was a whole town there and it got sunken up. Everybody just walked away from it. They went to Half Moon Bay or AKA Spanish town became the bigger city. So Persima was just kind of left alone. And so I went out there and um, I found out about it in 2010 when it was still covered up and I found some old trails and stuff. And I found the old graveyard I found some remnants of the old schoolhouse, but it was kind of down in like a, a canyon. So I couldn't really get to it. And there was all this overgrowth and it was kind of dangerous and stuff. But I found some old pictures of what it used to look like. And I kind of went off of that. And then recently, like within the last four or five years, they actually went out there and, and restored the graveyard. So then I went back and I did a video. It's on my YouTube channel. And there's all these old graves and all that stuff. But here's the interesting thing. And I find this problem in all parts of California and in San Francisco, there's no uh, graveyards, but there's Colma, which is outside of San Francisco. That's where they moved all the bodies after the earthquake. There's nobody born that would have been old enough to have built the original city. So everybody, all the, I could find like ones from 1850 born, born in 1850. Well, if you were born in 1850, then obviously you weren't old enough to have built San Francisco in 1849 1850 you were just you would have been just an infant when they were supposedly building san francisco so i went to the mausoleums in colma which is just a few miles south of san francisco and it's a huge necropolis like mm -hmm. colma california you, you, you can look it up colma california has more corpses than living people it's a it's it's literally just a giant graveyard there's just cemetery wow. after cemetery after cemetery there's literally millions of bodies buried in colma that we know of. Crazy. And so I went there and I did some videos about that too. I did some walkthrough kind of ASMR kind of videos, um, really long videos of me walking around in silence, you know, just showing off all the tombs in the mausoleum. And I did another video where I walked on the grounds in the graveyards and there's no, there's nobody old enough to have been the ones who built the buildings. And then I get in the comments, people are like, oh, well, you know, um, the, the cemetery is not that old. And it's like, yeah, but you don't get it. They die. Like, okay, but when were they born? Did everybody who helped build San Francisco just move away from San Francisco? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Where are the people who would have been old enough to have built the city? So when I went to Spanish Town uh, or when I went to Persima and I found the old graveyard, I still couldn't find anybody that was old enough. And a lot of these people weren't born here. They didn't come. They were born in Europe. They were born in Germany. They were born in Italy. And they didn't help build San Francisco. They just immigrated, you know, after, maybe even after the earthquake. Some of these people died in the 60s. And some of these people were born in 80s. Some of these people lived to be 100 years old. Okay. But they were born in Europe. And they didn't help build San Francisco. They were just people who immigrated after San Francisco was built. So I, you know, I just don't under, like, that's a big thing with me is, and you see that and I've, I brought that up to people and they've experienced the same problem was that when they go to their local graveyard in other States, like in Missouri and Utah and Texas, they can't find anybody that was old enough to have been the ones who built the buildings. It's always just after that. That's really interesting. And you know what else? Um, I always like dig through old newspaper archives and it's, they really only go back to like 1850. Like I'm sure there's places I could probably find older ones, but I haven't yet. 
like some maybe like 1847 or something like that but like these there was like like st louis at that time had already like uh i don't know i think sixty thousand people living there like why isn't there any kind of like record of the newspapers Mm -hmm. or like you know what i mean like and i'm just like i i we really i think like before 1850 we have no idea what happened here maybe it's kind of it's kind of starting it's kind of starting to look like that and you don't really notice it until you look into it and there's not really a lot of people looking into it and when you kind of try to explain it to people they're just like they kind of agree because they just they're uneducated which is fine Mm -hmm. they're they're ignorant but not in the sense of like an insult they're just literally like the textbook definition of just not informed enough to argue and then you talk to some people and they have like excuses and stuff, but they're just parroting, you know, something. The only places where you don't see that inconsistency is Europe. You still, you, yeah. you can go to a graveyard and you can see graves from the 1400s. You can see graves from, you know, okay. And that's great and everything, but they still have the majority of their old buildings. The United States, for some reason, see, I grew up looking at old buildings in, in random places. Like they have these Tartarian old world style buildings in the middle of nowhere in the middle of South Dakota, in the middle of Montana and Utah. And so they have them here in the suburbs too. They have these old city halls, they have these old courthouses. And so I grew up and I say, Oh, that looks, you know, really old. That looks a lot older than the other buildings. And my parents and other people, you know, they'd say, Oh, it was built a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was and say, and say it was fine. Okay. That's fine. It's a post office, but it looks like a palace, but okay. It's the Mm -hmm. post office. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, labor was cheap, uh, material was cheap, uh, they had slaves build it, whatever, the Chinese built it, whatever. Okay, well, now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of the buildings that are over 100 years old are being torn down and they're being replaced. So then theoretically, in a few more generations, those kids will look at a building and say, oh, that looks really old. And they'll say, yeah, it's 100 years. And so mm-hmm. when we look at this reset theory, especially in the United States, we saw all these things happen about a hundred years ago, world war one, the Spanish flu, uh, earthquakes, big fires, like the fires in Chicago and San Francisco, mm-hmm. Boston, St. Louis, so on and so forth. And so it seems to be like a hundred years is the mark. So if we look at what's going on right now in 2023, and then we jump to 2123, it's the same thing's going to happen. They're going to say, Oh, it was a hundred years ago. It was around, the, the 2020s that America went through this big shift and a lot of things were destroyed and a lot of people were displaced and the population started to dwindle and there was, you know, political unrest. Like, it's just, it's like history, as they say, the cliche of history repeating itself. Yeah. And so is that like your theory of like us being mini reset every hundred years in a way? It seems to be, yeah, because yeah. if we go through with this, if we go through with this VR thing and this metaverse kind of thing, that that could be considered kind of a reset in the sense that people stopped living the way that they had previously lived, like going outside as much and doing all these things. But then that brings me back to that other thing of the resetters, you know, the controllers, the, the whatever you want to call them, the elite, they're not being reset. If you go back through their lineage, you go back through their records they're more or less continuing to do basically the same thing, which is like, you know, it sounds kind of like, you know, a Philistine or something, but they, 
playing tennis, playing golf, hanging out at the country club, having big mansions, drinking wine, smoking fancy cigars, playing with money, playing with the stock market, driving sports cars. Um, they live in really old houses. They have old furniture. They wear old clothes. They continue the traditions of more or less. I mean, obviously they have technology. Obviously they have modern medicine. They have their toys, but essentially they're living the same way as their ancestors 150 years ago. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And they're living in the same um, uh, property. Whereas with lower income people, middle-class people, working poor people, they tend to move around a lot. They get uprooted. They have to, you know, leave behind. They're not connected. They haven't seen some of their family. They, they, they've lost siblings. And as far as generational wealth goes, you see that in the South as well with the plantations. Some of those plantations go back to when Louisiana was still France. Mm -hmm. And those families continue to keep the property. They continue to make money. It's the old money thing. They don't go through the reset. They watch it happen. They're like, on a veranda, you know, like watching it happen. They're looking down in the flatlands and they're seeing all the, you know, the peasants run around being reset, being, you know, constantly shaken around and they're just watching it happen. And a lot of these people now they're, they're some of them are socialites. Some of them we know. I mean, I would even say like the most well-known of the old money would be like, um, like a Paris Hilton type because of who her yeah. father is because Hilton Hotels, that goes back to the 1800s. Whoever the heirs are to the Coca-Cola fortune, whoever the heirs are to the Folgers. Okay, one of the girls who was killed, a uh, little quick side note, one of the girls that was killed by the uh, Manson family in 1969, she was an heir to the Folger estate. Folger's That's wealthy. right. Yeah. Abigail, Abigail Folger. See, so these families, they don't get reset. They don't have to go through the reset the same way. They, they benefit from it, but they're not really subject to it. It's crazy. And so, like, do you think that there was a, a major cataclysm that um, reset us? Like, because of all, like, when you look at the, all the old photos and all the cities are, like, empty and it looks like there's no people anywhere. And then all of a sudden around the time of the World's Fairs, there's just people everywhere. Like, do you think there was something that wiped people out? Yeah, they, they, I think that they benefited from some type. I'm, I'm, I wasn't there, um, so I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what happened. Obviously, yeah, mm -hmm. just your theory. Right, right. just off the <laughs> yeah. evidence and, and just kind of a little bit of speculation between the fires, the earthquakes, the plagues that supposedly happened, whether or not that was, you know, who knows what was really going on with that. Um, they, they, they definitely capitalized on something and also how easy it was to make people disappear back then. So you can't just take a bunch of people and make them disappear. Like, but back then you could, and then you get into the orphan trains, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, they're taking the kids out of the, the cities and moving them out to the farmlands because they were orphans anyways. It was better than the orphanage. I get all that. That sounds really wholesome in a way. And they have these meetups still because a lot of those kids are still alive. I mean, they're not kids anymore. They're in their eighties and nineties and some of them are even older than that. And they have reunions and they go, Oh yeah, I remember the train. And I, where did you go? I went to, you know, St. Paul or I, I went to Nebraska. Well, I also think that they were snatching kids up from the rural areas and sending them to the cities to live with the rich people, because there's one thing about these people. There's something about them. 
sometimes they can't have kids of their own or they don't have enough kids or they need kids. And they, I, I think it was going the other way around too. And I think that they were taking healthy, beautiful children from the Midwest and the West out to the East Coast around the same time. So in other words, they were taking these like indigent orphans from places like, you know, Brooklyn and Philadelphia and, and, and so on and so forth. And then they were also taking kids from the farmlands and sending them to the cities to live with rich families. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I read this whole story when I was going into the orphan train thing about um, in England back in the day in the 1800s, like the mid to late 1800s, same time they were doing an orphan train there as well. And mm-hmm. they there was like a written account of a lady who worked at one of the places I think they're called like foundling homes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she said that they were collecting inner city kids or no collecting kids from the country that were unwanted, taking them to the city, then redistributing them to the country is what they were told. Mm -hmm. So like, how does that make sense? Like it, like the whole story doesn't really add up the way she told it. And she was like, I don't know where these kids are going or like what's happening. Like, why are they bringing kids back to the country from the city or yeah. Yeah. And I like to look at what's happening in the present to kind of prove the past um, Mm -hmm. because you can find similarities. You can say, Oh, well it never stopped or it's, it's happening again, however you want to look at it. And so Another way to look at it is you can kind of see by the papers, you can read the news or you can watch the news, whatever um, way you get the news and you can see kind of signs of things happening and you can pick up little bits and pieces. So another little side note was there used to be a magazine. It was published from the early fifties until at least the late seventies or so. It still might be in some form of existence, but it's peak. It's prime was around the seventies and it was a magazine And it was called Fate Magazine, F-A-T-E Magazine. Mm -hmm. And they documented UFOlogy, occult stuff, paranormal stuff. And it was kind of like a a collection of stories that people would send in. And they would send people out on assignments and get pictures of, you know, Easter Island or Machu Picchu. And it was just kind of like catering to the emerging culture of of the paranormal. And this reoccurring article that this guy had is it was called... I see by the papers and he had a column. And what he did is he went through all the papers, local, national, international papers, and he would look for signs of the apocalypse or signs of like, you know, just like omens and things like that. And so when we talk about the orphan trains, getting back to that, that whole kind of idea of taking kids away, displacing kids, redistributing kids. All right. Here's something really scary that I just, I I just found out. There was a woman from, I believe it was Georgia, and she was a senator or a congresswoman, and her and her husband uncovered this this plot, this this scheme, where CPS, which is here in the United States, that's Child Protective Services. I'm sure that Canada has some type of equivalent. Oh yeah. And what they do, what 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 this woman, what this woman and her husband figured out, was that if you have a kid, and Say you're at the park or something. I don't know if you have children. Do you have children? Yeah, I have one daughter. Okay, so it's, let's just say that if I or you, I have a daughter as well. If I or you were at the park playing with our respective uh, daughters 
and then somebody saw your daughter, my daughter, and they say, Oh, I, I like her. She's got, she, she, she looks healthy. She look I, I like her. She seems like a nice girl. They you're targeted. And so what they discovered is that there was people paying for children. They would literally say, I want that one. They go to certain people at the CPS and they would say, get that kid for me. So then what they would do is they start laying traps for the parents. Not all the parents fell into them. You know, you kind of have to, but as soon as that trap was sprung, as soon as you fell into that, then they had the CPS at your house and they make up excuses. You put them in a foster home and they make up excuses to get you put in jail or incarcerated. And then they would just, and then they, they would magically be the ones who adopted the kid. They would pull the strings and all this stuff. Well, what do you know? The woman who figured this out with her husband dies. Of course. Of a, and so does the husband. Yeah. Murder, suicide. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's scary. As a parent, that's like a, that's like a, that's like a ghost story. That's like a scary, like, that's like a campfire story to me. Yeah. Because it's saying that if your kid is targeted, if your kid gets like a target put on them, then you get a target put on you as a parent. And then they try to figure out a way to steal your kid from you. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. And that goes back to this idea that there's these people who are like, like kids, I don't know. It's, it's something that I've discovered from being a parent is like, there's a lot of resentful people and they want children of their own, or they want to do things to children. We don't have to go into that. I think everybody understands what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it's never stopped. There's like stories from Europe. There's all these like folk tales of like Hansel and Gretel and the witch and, you know, and they would put the mm-hmm. kid in the oven. You know, there's a reason that those things exist. They're not just like made up stories. There really is that kind of evil in this world. And my father was born in France and he had a twin. He had an identical twin. And so when they lived in France, um, my grandmother was from Germany. Uh, My 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 father's mother was from Germany, but she relocated to France because of the war, because she was in Dresden and she met my grandfather. So when my dad was a kid and he had his brother, my uncle, there was all these people in the village. They lived in a small village in Southern France. And they were like, give me one of the boys. You have two. Why can't we have one? Jesus. And they would like try to, to, to take either my father or my uncle. And back then you just kind of had to like, it was just kind of part of the deal. Like you couldn't really go to the police because it was like whatever. Because if you didn't have proof that they like really stole them. But they were always like trying to like, oh, like it's not fair. You have two healthy boys. Why can't I have one? And these people were dead serious. Like they would have just taken, you know, my father or my uncle, like, and gone and raised them on their own. And sometimes, you know, people were, you know, they were overwhelmed with children and they would do that. They would just like give their children to people. There was no adoption papers. There was no like process. It was just, here you go, you know? And that's, yeah. that actually like I, my grandpa, my grandpa, some kid down the road, got given to like my grandpa and his sisters or my great grandfather, I guess, and grandmother on their farm because that farm had too many kids. So they had another one and they just gave it, just gave it away down the road. Yeah. There's <laughs> a... I thought that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like yes, your child. It happened a lot more back then. Um, 
there was a famous uh, photograph from uh, here in the United States. I think it was taken sometime in the 19 teens or the 1920s. And it shows a mother and she's standing on a porch and she's like covering her face. And then there's all these kids. There's like three, four, five, six kids sitting. And there's a big sign that says children for sale. And wow. like, yeah, that's how it was back then. It was, it's really sketchy. And, you know, it makes you wonder about this whole reset and new world versus old world thing is why did it take so long to have laws to prevent that kind of thing from happening from just any person just coming and just saying, oh, I want that kid here. I'm, I'm just going to take that kid and go to parts unknown. Like we can't do that now legally. There's no way to do that. It's, we can do it, but it's not legal. And then and the other thing about the old world and America being this like experiment and it's like a reset thing is we look at the inventions and we look at the companies and I've watched a lot of these um, videos on YouTube where they're actually mundane. They, they're, they're not talking about the old world. They're just simply talking about the history of industry and the, the, the history <coughs> of businesses mm -hmm. in the United States. And they say, oh, this guy came from Germany in 1870, whatever. And he opened up a hot dog stand and that hot dog stand turned into you know, the uh, Marriott Hotel Company or this, mm -hmm. this guy, he had uh, a little cart and he was selling, you know, tonic water and that became, you know, um, Pepsi-Cola. Like you see these like people who had like the simplest idea and it supposedly didn't exist, but it's like, why didn't that exist already? Why did it take till 1890 something for the guy to invent Coca-Cola or why did it take and how did they get so big so fast? You know, we mm -hmm. see like just these industries just popping up out of nowhere. And then also the inventions, like the patents that, that people were just, it just seemed like it was like, like everything was up for grab. Like there was nothing. And then there was all this stuff out of nowhere. There's just an explosion of inventors and entrepreneurs. Well, why didn't any of that stuff exist in Europe? Why was this all of a sudden, like, here you go, here it is, you know? And you look back at New York and Philadelphia and Boston and you look at the old pictures and everybody like looks the same, you know, it's like, yeah. they got it. and like I say in my videos on YouTube, I say, it's like somebody, they like, they came here and they just got like a kit and they said, okay, here's a pair of slacks. Here's a pair of brown shoes. Here's a pair of black shoes. Here's a hat. Here's a tie and, and good luck, you know? Yeah, and same with women, and they just had, like, the men had bowler hats, the women had these wide-brimmed, like, hats, and then the puffy-sleeved weird dresses, and everyone looked the exact same around that time, and those, like, how did they, my husband told me those hats are made from beaver pelt, and then he said that's why fur trading was so big during that time, because they were making all these hats, and I'm like, they made, like, millions of hats all of a sudden out of nowhere, like, how many, how many beavers are, like, it didn't make sense to me. Like, where did all these fucking hats come from all of a sudden? Every single person had the same hat. And, you know, I know it's completely unrealistic and, and it's completely out of the question. But if I could go back in time, and this would solve the, the, the mystery. It's just, but obviously, like, you know, going back in time is kind of a stretch. But I often wonder, I'm like, what would it be like to go to San Francisco or Chicago or New York in 1850 and just see if I could see it and say, okay, like, and see how it worked out, how they were able to make all the bricks and how they were able to make it all. And they had enough skill to 
build these like elaborate buildings and all the intricate like uh, masonry work and all the detail, just all the facades, all just and it all stayed together for over a hundred. It didn't fall apart. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you know, but obviously that's not going to happen. That's that's being fantastical, but people just accept it as it is and just say, well, that's just the way it was, and we have proof, we have blueprints, we have all this stuff, and it's like you don't realize like that could all be fake, you know? So I get yeah. a lot of comments on my YouTube videos where people are trying to sound like educated and they're like, Oh, like <laughs> yeah. here, here you go. Like, see, this is, and it's like, dude, like, I don't know if you know, like what part of YouTube you ended up in, but like here <laughs> in old scary world land, we don't believe any of that. And then they'll be like, yeah. well, that's convenient for you to just dismiss what's presented as the truth. And it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, that like I'm being obtuse, I'm being a contrarian, but that's the whole point. The whole point is questioning it. If you don't question it, then there's really no point. It, it loses actually its meaning. It loses its value. If people just take everything at face value, does it really have any value? Things gain value by being questioned. Things have more strength by being forged with you know resistance. If somebody can definitively prove to me which I don't think it's possible because I have conviction as well. Uh, so I'm a little hard headed in that sense, but yeah, I mean, if I see more proof or there's more logical explanation as to how we did some of these things, not all of them, some of them make sense, but then there's these anomalies. There's this yeah. literally like what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing with the brick factory. Like how did you build the brick factory out of bricks? Yeah. <laughs> when you didn't even have like a foundry, how did you make the foundry? out of you know limestone when you didn't have anything to cook the limestone in was it all sent in before the trains were finished was it all carried by mules on wooden carts wouldn't the cart flip over because it's heavier than the mule yeah you know like we're, t- we're, we're told that we were putting these like super heavy weights on things that would have flipped the mule over because it was like and then the wood uh, you know and it just becomes like a logistical nightmare yeah, and people just like are really flippant about it, and they just don't. Um, it's hard to, I guess, see the big picture if you never looked into this, and like to see how far back it goes. Because like things like, well, so today when I was like looking at the St. Louis stuff, I, I was like looking at the Great Fire and researching about it, and I found out that there was some hero in air quotes of the fire that was the chief of some certain fire brigade, and what he did when the fire went. So the fire started on a boat and then it caught like 12 other boats apparently on fire. None of these steam boats like left the harbor. They just waited till they caught fire. Then it caught into the city and it burnt exactly all the, 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 like um, original old city. And the only reason it didn't escape to like the newer parts is because this guy, I guess got a bunch of dynamite. This was his great idea during the fires when everyone was panicking. And like, apparently he knew exactly how the fire was burning, but he went like demolished buildings and made a firewall, but it like sectioned off exactly all the old city basically Mm -hmm. and burnt only that. There was like one cathedral left of the old architecture. Yeah. Well, how convenient was that? And what, what city was that again? That was in St. Louis and that was in 1849. Yeah. I mean, that just, it kind of reminds me of the story with the the big Chicago fire that was supposedly started by a cow tipping over a lantern in a a barn. (laughs) If you look, if you look up the, um, the map and you look up the, the burn area, 
and how how much it burned it it really defies like logic and physics there too because it jumped water it yeah it spread for like four or five miles like it's a huge burn area and i know the structures were made out of wood and there was no like fire code and there was no safety codes and there was no building codes i get all that and that's all like what we would consider plausible deniability because yeah we have to assume that that's true based off of you know the reality of things about how much building uh safety has increased just in the last you know 50 years or so i get all that but like really look at it Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, you know, if anybody that's listening to this is a skeptic and they're just like trying to gain some perspective on the on the issue or the subject, seriously, I'm, I'm, it's, it's not like a direct challenge or anything, but I'm just encouraging people to look at the, the burn area and say, oh, that was just from a lantern and it spread to that building and that building and that building. Like if people saw the fire coming when it was small, they would be able to keep it at bay. It wasn't yeah. just a lantern. A lantern, yeah. yes, can cause the hay to burn in that building but but you could you could stop it even back then you could do a better job at stopping it but i think that people just like they just watched it burn like i mean taking the official story at face value let's just say that people just didn't give a shit they just were like oh this is like entertaining and they just they knew that they could rebuild because nowadays especially here in california if your house is on fire that's millions of dollars burning yeah. Like back then houses and there was so much land, like I can go along with that, as, but I never hear that as an explanation that people just threw their hands up in the air and watched it like it was a fireworks show because I'm kind of starting to think that that's kind of what was going on is people were just like, they didn't have as many possessions. They just like grab whatever, maybe cash they had, jewelry, you know, their favorite cane, their favorite top hat, whatever. And then they just go out into a field and watch everything burn. Yeah. I don't know if that sounds crazy or not, but to me it's just it's 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 more of a valid explanation. Maybe there was people that were trying to stop it, but at the same time, maybe these people were immigrants and they had only been here for, you know, a couple of years and they just didn't have that connection with the land, they didn't have that connection with the community, and they were just like, eh. eh. And they were used to sleeping, you know, outside or like in cold like look at the way that the house is. How did they stay warm? Yeah. They're all huddled together. Apparently that St. Louis fire killed like only 600 people, but it displaced like thousands of people. And coincidentally in the same year before that, that city lost 10% of its population to cholera, Mm -hmm. apparently as per the narrative. So like, were were they trying to like empty it out? Cause they were going to do a controlled demolition of a section. That's sort of what it looks like to me. Like it was the crowded old area and then cholera coincidentally swept through and like killed and weakened and yeah i mean that's 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 definitely very valid and i hate to go back to it but just for a second go back to the 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 cv19 thing is i i thought that they were going to use it as an excuse to get rid of the homeless i really did but they actually went in the opposite direction yeah. And they tried to say that, you know, that they were fine. And I said, wait a minute here. And this was like kind of like a big red pill for me to like not like trip on it too much in the beginning. Like I'm talking like early. And I said, if these people are out there sleeping in tents and 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 CV-19 is out there, how come these people aren't like dropping like flies? Mm-hmm. Like they're sleeping on the street. Their hands are fit like they're 
and I would see these videos of, of San Francisco and them going in with their little masks and their masks were filthy. And, and I said, okay, they're not going to do it because it would have been the perfect time for like the shock troops to just come in and just scoop those people up and just make them disappear. And then just yeah, blame or they could have just like injected them with whatever things like, here's a free clinic. You'll get a $20, whatever check. If we get mm -hmm. your shot or like, yeah, exactly. And they didn't do it. And so that told me that it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't worth doing. It wasn't worth like doing like a containment or anything like that. And you want to hear something crazy about Canada, what they did? They went to the reservations first and they, they purposely did like a campaign. It was supposed to be like, it was like, um, painted as like a outreach kind of program. But what they did is they went to the very remote community, um, indigenous communities first and started giving them it first. Hmm. And I was just like, hmm, I don't know. I just felt really bad to me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, too, going back to, um, you know, a little over 100 years ago, is they had they had masks. There was people wearing masks. And they yeah. had, and then it's really funny, too, is I found this picture, and there was a picture of these people who had signs that said um, San Francisco Anti-Mask Brigade, and they were anti-mask. And they oh had my God. <laughs> all this science about how the masks weren't helping against the Spanish flu and, and all this stuff. But then there was pictures of like large crowds of people in San Francisco and they were all wearing masks. And I was like, wow, if this isn't history repeating itself, right? We're in so a complete it, loop. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. So you had two, you had two you know, opposing um, schools of thought even back then. And then, you know, the Spanish flu was a misnomer. It wasn't from Spain. It was actually released from an army base in Oklahoma. Yeah. And you get into that whole thing, and that's that's kind of a trip. And a lot of the people were dying from Spanish flu were people who had just come back from from Europe from World War One, and mm -hmm. they were really weak. And they're also spreading it in the trenches and all that kind of stuff. And it really wasn't that serious of an illness it's just the conditions the quality of life and stuff were exacerbating it and all that kind of stuff just like how mm -hmm. you know magically the flu here um you know went away when cv19 was running around and uh you know i just i was always just really worried that the the reaction was going to be worse than it and that's exactly what happened and mm -hmm. so maybe that's what happened with some of these fires and some of these earthquakes and some of these other natural disasters hundred years ago is people took the bait and then they went in and they, they reset the, the city. They got rid of the old buildings and they said, Oh, we're going to build, you know, really nice buildings and everything's going to be great. Just, just go with the flow. Just like they're trying to get yeah. people now into big tower buildings and you, know, you don't, yeah. you don't want a car. You know, when they talk about saying, Oh, we're not going to have enough lithium to make the batteries for all these electric cars because they want everybody to be driving an electric car by, you know, 2035 or 2050 or whatever it is. You're, you're missing the point. The point isn't that they're going to magically be able to create enough lithium ion batteries to, to replace every single uh, internal combustion engine vehicle. The idea is there won't be as many vehicles on the road. Yeah. The idea is, is that car ownership will plummet to the point where only like upper middle class, rich, you know, high income, high value, high worth people will have their own personal car. And the majority of people will feel comfortable or they'll feel totally fine 
with just renting a you know a zip car for the day or they'll share a car with their whole neighborhood and everybody's expected to share everything and like you won't own anything and they've laid out the, the plan for that like you won't even own a blender if you want a blender you'll go and borrow a blender for a day and then you'll give it back you won't own the blender but you'll have access to the blender you know why Ew. why what what's the point of that you know, and then they're like, oh, we got to get rid of single family homes. We got to get rid of the nuclear family. We got to get rid of parents. We should just let the kids be raised by the community. You know, all this horse shit. And, I remember someone else who said that in like, you know, they're <laughs> oh, around yeah. World War II. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It said the parents are irrelevant and the state should be raising the children. And look how that went. Yeah, and they tried to they tried to run that in Russia around the same time with the other guy, you mm-hmm. know, because you had the three guys, mm-hmm. the three the three cool guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you had the, 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 the axis, the axis of evil, and the allies. You know, you had you know, we we all know who who we're talking about, mm-hmm. but um, but they're trying to repackage it and they're trying to resell it as this green thing, and that's the scary part is that they're using this earth worship thing, like, oh, the, the, the mother earth and, you know, all this like cooey. I happen to think this is another like hot take. This is another like kind of, you know, thing is that oil scarcity is it's all made up water scarcity. It's all to justify that the, 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 the prices, there's a lot of research that's been done into oil and it's a naturally occurring thing. We're, we're, we, at this rate, we would never use it all up. It, I the, totally agree. You know, especially in Canada, there's huge reserves that haven't even been touched. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's all a joke. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to fall for it, you can fall for it. It doesn't matter. I'm totally confident. I'm not like some people, they believe in this stuff, but they're really meek. They don't want to talk about it with their family. I've always been this way. Like I've been pretty like deep into all this stuff since I was a kid because my father was how they say now, you know, red pill or based or whatever back. And he told mm-hmm. me about central banking. He told me how the international banking conspiracy works and how they keep making money off of fiat currency. He told me the truth about world war two and how it was, you know, just a big money grab and like, it was just to steal, you know, land and money and like resources. Um, I grew up going to gun shows and biker rallies and and these like events these like trade shows and there was people who had tables set up and they had pamphlets and inside those pamphlets was all the same stuff that we're seeing on instagram and youtube and and telegram and all these like social media places where people spread memes and infographics about this i saw it when i was a kid my dad would buy them Mm -hmm. i have some of them in my collection and their books and little magazines and little pamphlets of guys like trying to wake people up 30 years ago in the 80s yeah. like, like saying hey you guys gotta watch out for 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 the nwo you gotta watch out for big brother you gotta watch out for inflation you gotta watch out they're gonna take our guns they're gonna do that all that shit was being presented to me it was being handed to me when i was a mm-hmm. kid i grew up that's that was my i was homeschooled i didn't go to public school i was never enrolled i never got any inoculations or any shots and i didn't have to because i wasn't going to school now, luckily, awesome. yeah, I was very fortunate. It was one in a million thing that this happened. And another thing that was great was I grew up in a neighborhood, a suburban neighborhood in the 1980s, full of kids my age. They lived next door. They lived across the street. They went 
around the corner. They went to the school that I would have gone to. So when I was homeschooled, my parents just said, okay, we'll go off their schedule. Whenever they get a day off, you'll get a day off. When they get out of school, you can go outside. When, you know, whatever. My mom went to a school supply place and she bought all the same books. She bought all the same stuff. I was same curriculum. I was looking at the kids' homework. She was getting ideas for assignments based off of their assignments. I would go to the school after school and do after school program. Like I, I got all, I got the best of both worlds. I had friends. I was mm-hmm. social. I wasn't some like weird, mm-hmm. like recluse. And throughout life, I was always able to make friends. I was always able to pick up a, a hobby or, or do whatever, get a, a date, you know, get girlfriends, whatever. And I've just kept that momentum going. And now I'm in my late thirties. I'm a father, husband, I'm all these things. And I just, I never looked back. I was just always just having fun, questioning everything, being who I was. And so that's my advice to any young person listening to this perchance. Per it's just, if you have a fire in your heart, if you have a spirit, don't let it die. Just, just keep going and, but, but don't turn into a weirdo. Don't be like that guy who's always like raining, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like ha- dance, sing, laugh. Don't be, don't be miserable. Don't be, don't be doom pilled. Just take life for what it is, but don't be scared. That's the, the fear is the biggest enemy. That's the thing. Like everything after this recent couple of years, I realized that everything they do is based on a fear campaign. So fear is like the main catalyst for their programming. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn to release fear. And the only way we can do that is by like getting in touch with our inner self and really learning to like cultivate a relationship with the self. Once we do that, we could trust ourselves and then mm-hmm. we're not influenced by the outside like that. With the self and with your your friends, your family, yeah, your partners, is it's all about that 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 same vibe kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. also when you talk about fear and you talk about the narrative, a lot of people don't understand that when you're uncovering these supposed truths or these supposed bombshell reports from Project Veritas or Alex Jones or whatever they're controlling that fear narrative. If you're mm-hmm. still afraid, even though you think you're red pilled, you think you're informed, you think you're spreading the truth, you don't know if that's being perpetuated as a separate psyop in the sense that like they don't care if you think you know the truth as long mm-hmm. as you're scared of that truth. As, as long as yeah. that's okay, because then they're controlling the mainstream narrative that they feed to the NPCs, that they feed to the normies, but then they're also controlling the fear narrative that's being disseminated to the supposedly awakened. Okay. And then th- those awakened people are like perpetuating the fear campaign on each other. Mm-hmm. And they don't care. Yeah. They don't, yeah. they, they do not care if you, know the tr- <laughs> if you know the truth, as long as you're not prepared to handle that truth. Yeah. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I'm, I'm serious. It's, it's, it's literally like, they just don't care as long as you're afraid. Like when people were like, Oh, um, COVID-19, is a um a chai com you know weapon whatever okay well then you're still afraid of it yeah um this is so they had the people that were they had the people that were afraid to get the promo code i'll say promo code okay <laughs> so they didn't want to get the promo code so why didn't they want to get it because they thought that it was going to hurt them so they didn't get it then they had the people that that thought that that the um that the cough was dangerous and that they were putting themselves at risk by not getting the promo code. Yeah. Then you had the people who got the promo code 
thinking everything was going to be okay. And then they find out, oh no, now I'm afraid that I'm going to have a, um, a cardiovascular um, emergency yeah. because I got the promo code. So, so what I'm saying is they're, they're, oh, they're constantly trying to control every single narrative, whether it's the mainstream narrative, the counter narrative, the fear narrative. And so what the magic is, is when you just, you let go and you put your faith in whatever, you know, the, uh, with me, it would be God. Um, somebody else, it could be karma, the universe, the field, divinity. And you just say, yeah. you know what? I don't care. I just don't care because if I worry about this, it's going to interfere with my happiness. And then it's a net loss. And you can yeah. try to turn that net loss into a net gain. And the net gain is achieved when you just simply just say, you know what? I'm only going to try to control and be worried about what's right in front of me, what I can directly control. I'm not going to be worried about these rumors of war. I'm not going to be worried about these, these murmurings of, of murders in the night. I'm just going to simply live my life as an honest, fair person and try to cultivate meaningful relationships with those that I feel are worthy of my love. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Maybe we should like just cap it there. Cause I feel like that's a good place a good to note. stop. Yeah. A really good, good place to stop because it's like such a positive possibility. I always like landing on a positive note. I always do. Yeah. And then when we go forth without fear, like anything's really possible. So like you could make a future you didn't even know what could be that good. Exactly. Right. Well, well thanks for being on my show. Oh no, it's, it's been awesome a pleasure. To have you. Yeah. And like, I'm, it's cool to get to know you because I've been following your stuff for so long. And like, uh, I find like you have these like notions of people from their um, social media personality a little bit. And then when you get to know them, it's like, yeah, it's really cool to get to know you. <laughs> oh, likewise. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, anytime. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we should do this again. And actually, um, you want to let everyone know where to find you or like how they can. Sure. Yeah, stuff. no, it's 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 really easy on Instagram. I'm Mudflood Memes or Old Scary World. You type that and you'll find me. And then on YouTube, I'm Old Scary World. And then I have merchandise. I do like limited runs of clothing on oldscaryworld.com. And then there's a bunch of miscellaneous links to Telegram and stuff that you can find on the Instagram. But yeah, I would say if you're into the old world, then check out the YouTube. And if you're into memes and just kind of more Instagram kind of content, reels and stuff, then check out the Instagram, Mudflood Memes. And if you're into both and just go to one or the other, you'll find it kind of just goes down a rabbit hole from there. Yeah, for sure. And I'll put all your links or whatever so people can find you in right the show on. notes. Yeah, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me.